Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, how many of you have ever had something stolen from you? Have you ever had something stolen from you? There's really nothing quite like that feeling, right? When you have some of your belongings taken from you. I've had three memorable experiences in my life. And one, I was a sixth grade boy, and I'll never forget, I waited so long for my mom to buy me my amazing pair of basketball shoes that were going to make me jump higher and dunk the ball better. And I'll never forget, my mom finally got them, and they were a pair of Jordans, and I was so excited. I was so excited, and I put them in my locker, and, and I was going to save them for basketball practice that night, and uh, went through all through school just excited about coming, and I went to open my locker, and I found out that my shoes had been stolen. And then a report came from the boys' bathroom that uh, some shoes were found. And so I ran to the boys' bathroom to look and see what, if they were, these were my shoes. And what did I find? But I found my shoes in the urinal, and somebody had urinated on them. I was crushed. You guys know that feeling? That you're violated. That you just feel angry. You feel betrayed like you're... You, you just can't trust. You're paranoid now about your belongings. Even as an adult, I was at the YMCA, and my wallet was taken from a locker, and guess where I found it? In the bathroom, in the toilet. I don't know if it's just me, if it's my luck. <laughs> and then one of the hardest things that God ever taught me, uh, I, I really valued a graduation gift guitar that I got from my parents, and I took it on a mission trip. And uh, the back of the van was broken out of that morning after we had served, and my precious, precious guitar was gone, never to be seen again. That feeling is awful, isn't it? Just down in your gut, you feel the sense of loss, of betrayal, that anger. This morning, we're going to look at a guy named Simon. And Simon was a man that didn't yet know this, but his love for Jesus had been stolen from him. And the thief was not who he expected. The thief was not who he expected. So let's go ahead and jump into that passage. Today we're going to be looking at the greatest thief of love. The greatest thief of love. I'm going to look uh, Luke 7, 36 through 7. Would you read along with me? When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus, excuse me, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at the feet at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she really is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said, two people owed money to a certain money lender. 
One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one, you, the, the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not pull, put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love, her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? So brothers and sisters, uh, as we look at this passage, this should be an extremely humbling, humbling passage of scripture. And so as we work there, I want to lay down a couple of the ground work, some of the groundwork for the book of Luke. The book of Luke, I love, Luke is probably my favorite gospel because as you read the book of Luke, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, Luke went and investigated and he went and talked to the people that these things happened to and he interviewed them. And if you listen carefully while you're reading the book of Luke, you can hear those interviews. Things like Mary when she said she treasured these things up in her heart. Who could say that but a mother reporting how she felt. And here we have a passage, and this is, uh, this story, by the way, is, is in or present in the other four Gospels. And so we've got multiple different accounts of this scenario, but this one is unique. You know why? Because this is straight from the mouth, from the account, from the memory of Simon. And you can hear it in this passage, can't you? You can hear it in this passage. See, Jesus was trying to get Simon to see something. And I think this Luke, the author, is going to try to get us to see something this morning. So Luke interviewed Simon. And in, in the midst of this scenario, this event of the alabaster jar and this woman, uh, this sinful woman pouring this love out on Jesus, Jesus teaches, or he he tells a story about this lender, this money lender. And we call this a parable. Jesus taught in parables, and, and uh, this is a, a series that we did. We did on-point parables where we taught through in the youth ministry every single parable that Jesus taught through. And the thing about parables that you'll find as you begin to study them is a parable usually has one specific point. One specific point. A lot of people try to make them mean a lot of different things. But really, there was one specific point, And the point was usually very sharp. You know what I'm saying? Kind of prickly, like a cactus. But within the parable, there would be an invitation that would be precious. And full of life. And so, uh, for us, we want to look at this parable. We want to understand that parables offend the proud. Jesus used them primarily to offend the proud and to invite the humble. 
I'm going to say that again because it's really key to understanding really all of the parables that Jesus taught. He used them to offend the proud and to invite the humble. It's a very helpful tip when you're reading those parables. So let's look at then this parable. It's in verses 41 through 42, and I want us to just read it here. So two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Okay, so this was his ask to Simon. Again, he's trying to get Simon to see something. So in order to understand this parable, we want to understand who is Simon. Who is Simon? We know Simon is a Pharisee from the book of Luke. But the other accounts in, in Matthew and Mark, I could give you those passages so you can check them uh, maybe after service. It's Mark 14, 3 through 10, Matthew 26, 6 through 16, and it's also in John 12, 1 through 8. And in those passages, we find out that he's not just a Pharisee, but he's also Simon the leper. He's also Simon the leper. Some people uh, believe these are two accounts, but I think the, the difference is that these are from two different perspectives. Um, and here you're getting the perspective of Simon, who was in the room when this happened. So Simon was a teacher. Let's talk about this. He was, he was a religious leader. He was probably the Sunday, cool, Sunday school teacher. The Sunday cool teacher, am I right? He was, he was like what he would be today. He might have been an elder. He might have been somebody who many people would look up to. Many, when they would look at him, he'd enter the room. They'd say, man, that is a good man. They'd look at that guy, and they would, they would honor him. They would respect him. They oftentimes want to be him because he was a religious leader. He was very self-righteous like we know the Pharisees to be. But there was something different about this. From the two accounts, we find out how can he both be a leper and a Pharisee? Because if you know anything about leprosy in that day and age, right? If you had leprosy, you were considered what? Un untouchable, unclean, sinful. Like God was judging you because of your illness. So here's this morning when we look at, I think fits into this passage. I think you have a man who was sick who had been sick and who was maybe hiding. He was broken, suffering in silence. He didn't want people to know of his sickness, of his illness. And so he put on a good show. He knew how to do the Pharisee thing. He knew how to go to the synagogue and play the game and say the right things. All the while, he's terrified that people are going to find out that he's a leper. All the while terrified that, that somebody's going to find out about his mess. Anybody relating to this? Come and do the church thing. We're terrified that people may find. He was terrified of the consequences that may happen if this was discovered. He was broken and suffering silently. He was hiding shame and brokenness. He was putting on a face 
So often, I mean, many of you have seen me at the welcome desk, and I ask people so often, how are you doing? You know what I hear the most, the two words I hear the most? I'm fine and I'm good. And sometimes I go, really? Are you sure? How many of us, that's just an automatic response? Because we're terrified that somebody might actually hear what's really going on in our hearts and in our minds. I think Simon was a lot like us today. See, I think a lot of us like to ignore the mess that's in our life. We like to ignore the sin in our life. Summer tends to highlight that for me because I tend to vacate. You get free time, get out of structure, what do you do? Usually we vacate from the church. We vacate from God. We get away from God, right? Because our structure's gone. I always pray every summer for our church that we as a church wouldn't vacate from God, but that we would vacate to God. But man, we spend so much time trying to ignore, trying to keep it from people seeing it. Sometimes we like to go on vacation. You ever come back from a vacation and you're just like, man, it's still there. I left it and I was able to forget about it for a little bit. When I came back, it was still there because I still haven't dealt with it. You know, it's funny that, it's not funny, it's interesting then that Jesus turns to, to Simon and says, did you notice what you didn't do? Did you notice what you didn't do? See, we have passages in the scriptures that say, what you do to the least of these, you do to me. You know who said that? Jesus. Jesus. What you do to the least of these. And here, Simon didn't even realize that he missed out on overwhelming gratefulness and joy and love of Jesus Christ by not even welcoming him into his own home. He didn't even notice. He didn't even know that he missed out on the kind of joy and the love uh, uh, to pour out on Christ until this woman became the contrast. This woman showed him and became obvious. Jesus used this woman to show him. So I want to ask this, this question. Can you relate to Simon this morning? Can you relate to Simon this morning? Let's look at who this woman is. She was the contrast to Simon. She was a sinner. There was no doubt about that. It's in the passage, right? And it was her reputation. She was one of those people that I think a lot of us would look when they come through the door and go, hmm, yeah, they should be in church. Oh, we've never done that. But this woman came in in desperation because she knew, she knew who was in front of her. She knew what he had to offer for her. She knew something that Simon was ignoring. She was humble. See, the thing about somebody who's desperate is they're willing to do the things for Jesus that no one else is. They're willing to do the things that Jesus asked that sometimes we're in church and we're like, yeah, that's a pretty big, that's a tall order, Jesus. I'm going to file that in, a, in, the, in, the, in the camp of maybe I'll do that if I really feel holy enough someday. But see, there's this, this sense that she knew something, man. When you're humble before the Lord and you understand what he's done, you're willing to do the things for Jesus that no one else is. 
Sometimes that's volunteering for VBS. But sometimes maybe that's rolling your sleeves up and sharing the gospel and having that hard conversation. Sometimes maybe that's doing the, the dirty work. Maybe sometimes that's cleaning the things that other people have left as a mess. I mean that both emotionally and physically. She was humble. She was also wise. If you look back up at Luke 7.35, just before this passage, you see Luke likes to tie his narrative together. If you ever read Luke, he has a very specific purpose. And he sets this story up of the woman uh, in Luke 7.35, and he says, But wisdom is proved right by all of her children. I want you to hear that. Wisdom is proved right by all of her children. See, Luke here in this narrative is calling this woman wise because she understood something about herself that we should all understand about ourselves. Many of us ignore it. She was wise. She had a wisdom that few possessed, that Simon couldn't touch, that he didn't understand. And you know what? She was praised. She was praised by Jesus Christ himself. How many of you long to hear the voice of our Savior, of our Lord, say, well done, good and faithful servant. But she's praised in, 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 the other, uh, in the different accounts of this scenario. Jesus says, I want her to be remembered forever for what she has done for me. <laughs> you imagine being praised by Christ like that? want that so bad. And she was forgiven. She joyfully was overcome with thankfulness. Overcome by those feelings that she forgot herself. It no longer became about how silly she looked or who was watching. She forgot herself before her Lord because she was so thankful. When's the last time, church, that we've done that, that we've come to the throne of God with such reverence and awe and gratefulness for our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, for what he has done, that we completely forget that people are looking at us. We don't care anymore because we're overcome with the thankfulness and the joy that comes through forgiveness in Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross. Church, we should be full of joy. It should be so apparent on us. What tell, what, the reason I think that it's sometimes so hard to tell church is because we have forgotten we're in the same camp as Simon. We've forgotten what we've been saved from. I talked to a guy this weekend and he said this really intriguing and profound thing. He said, you know, sometimes as Christians, it seems like almost like we've been saved for too long or something. We have amnesia. We forget. Have you ever been around a new believer, by the way? Oh, my goodness. I love it. It's one of my favorite things because it's like, you can't believe what Jesus has done for me. I want to do everything. Sign me up for every Bible study. I'm going to be at every church service. I want to go on mission. How much does it cost? I'm selling my car. I know a guy who did this. I'm selling my car so I can go on a mission trip. You've been around those folks? Man, it's so exciting, isn't it? 
Why do we forget that? Why do we forget that? So I want to look at then who are, are, who are you? Who are you and me? So if we look at this story, the word that sticks out to me, right, is Jesus says in that parable that neither could pay off their debt. Neither person could pay off their debt. But it was obvious that the one who was paid off more from their perspective was the one who would be the greatest or offer the greatest thanks. And then Jesus, right, he tells us or he points something out to Simon. I don't miss this church that we are infinitely forgiven of an infinite offense before God. That is what sin is. Sin is an is an infinite offense before a holy and righteous God. See, no one, no one can claim that they're forgiven of a little, church. Nobody can stand here and say, I'm a pretty good person. God is so blessed to have me on his team. Nobody can say that. We're all, I love what Pastor Chad says, we're really just one beggar saying to another beggar where to find food. But this is the good news. But if we, church, if we have a small view of our own sin, then we also have a small view of God's grace. I'm going to say that again, because that's really important. If we have a small view of our sin and what we were saved uh, from, then we also will have a small view of God's grace. See, contrast tends to be everything, doesn't it? I'm going to take my Apple Pencil here, and uh, I'm going to select this here, and I'm going, to, I'm going to click black, okay? So right now, if you look up at the slide, right now I am writing a smiley face. Can you see it? Are you sure? I'm writing Shane is the best. Can you see that? Why? Because I'm writing it on a black slide. It's like, Shane, what are you doing, right? Because contrast is everything. If we sin in a world full of sin, we think, oh, I'm not so bad. But I want to go here then to a, a white slide. We know our Lord and our Savior. We know God is infinitely righteous and perfect, don't we? And I'm going to go here, and now you guys are going to get to see how bad my smiley face is, right? So when we sin then, in contrast to God's perfect righteousness, can you guys see that? Oh, that's bad. Here, I'm even going to do Shane rules. You guys can Oh, no, you guys can see that now. You get what I'm saying? That our sin, oftentimes, when we compare ourselves to the world, it doesn't stand out, does it? It looks so little. And we begin to tell ourselves, you know, we're not so bad. We're pretty good people. And then we begin to say, and, they, and I can't tell you guys, teenagers, they amplify this message. I'm not so bad. I'm not as bad as everybody else. You know, I'm generally a, a good person. Why does Jesus even need to save me? I don't need any kind of saving. Have you ever had somebody say that to you? It's like they can't figure out, like, oh, you know, they fooled themselves into thinking that they're generally a good person. I can't tell you that that enough how many times I see that in our teenagers today because they've amplified that message that we as adults have bought into. We sin 
against an infinitely holy and righteous God. Therefore, our sin is of infinite offense. I want you to turn. This is a really important passage, so you should have it marked in your Bibles. It's Romans 3. So grab your Bibles, blow the dust off them, uh, turn on that warm glow of your device. Romans 3, 22 through 24. I'm going to read this for us. The righteousness, this righteousness, is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. When we believe in Christ and we trust in his forgiveness, he gives us his righteousness. Do you hear that? We have the righteousness of Christ because it was a gift that came through faith. To all who believe. And here he says, Paul again is saying, there is no difference between Jew or Gentile or sinning woman and Simon. There's no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Amen? That verse alone should cause us clapping and applauding at what our Savior has done. But church, we too often, so we've been given infinitely valuable righteousness. I wanted to point that out. And the other thing that we see is that we are desperately wicked. See, we have a tendency to ignore our sin, don't we? We like to sleep it under the rug and act as if it doesn't exist. We minimize it. We say to our things like our things to ourselves like it's not that bad, don't we? Or here's a here's a big one that I hear from from guys, particularly when it comes to lust and pornography. Oh, it doesn't hurt anybody. It doesn't hurt anybody. A lot of times we think, right? Not going to church. Oh, it doesn't hurt anybody. Although we have commands in the scriptures that say, right, do not neglect the meeting with one another. Oh, but it doesn't hurt anybody. That's one of those lesser sins. Is that what Jesus is communicating here? See, it's not, and we're going to define sin here in just a minute. So um, we're, the heart of man is desperately wicked. We know this from Jeremiah 17, 9, right? And so do not ignore this about yourself. Brothers and sisters, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? That's Jeremiah 17, 9. So I want you all to think about this. No one in your life has lied to you more than you have lied to you. Nobody has lied to you more in your life than you have lied to you, according to Scripture. And we don't even notice our lack well, what a big lie. We come day in and day out to church and can't figure out why we feel so distant from God. Simon didn't realize that he hadn't welcomed Jesus. And I think many times the church doesn't realize that it doesn't welcome Jesus. So let's confess this. Would you say it with me? I am a sinner. Can you say that with me? I am a sinner in desperate need of the grace of God. Can you say that with me? I am a sinner in desperate need of the grace of our Lord. Mm. Let us not forget that, church. 
neither of them could pay back their debt. And then Jesus responds with, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. So I want to really quickly finish up this morning by defining what sin is, because one of the things that I see is, is the tool of our complacency, is that we don't have a good understanding or definition of what sin is. So what is sin? If somebody were to come and ask, to, ask you, what is sin? We have definitions like it's missing the mark, it's not doing what we ought to, it's disobeying God, it's not following God. So it's so much more, church, than just doing bad things, isn't it? It's not doing what God created us to do. When we don't do, hear this, what God created us to do, we are a broken creation. I always use the tool example. Those of you who are in the trades, if you have a tool that breaks and is unfixable, what do you do with that tool? I'm hearing it. Thanks, Harold. Yeah, you throw it away. You throw it away. Guys, God didn't do that. Our purpose, the reason he made us, you guys know this, was to glorify God and enjoy him forever. What a cool task. But we broke because of sin, and we could no longer glorify God or enjoy him forever because of our sin. And so God didn't just press the reset button, did he? He began the work of redemption and redeeming all of mankind. See, sin broke us being able to do what we were created to do. So sin is not following God. And I put some references up there just so you guys can see in the interest of time can write these down. Sin separates us from God. Separates this. And I like to think about this in terms of more of a relationship because it's not like God isn't present with us, right? But guys, am I right? You can really tell when your wife is, is feeling distant and separate from you because you've done something dumb. Am I the only one that does that? Right? And you can tell like something's come between us. It's a relational term, right? Something has come between us, and it needs to be dealt with. Separates us from God. The root cause, it's the root cause of death and pain. Did you know God doesn't really want pain and death for us? There's so many young people that I talk to, they're just like, I can't get it, I don't understand. Why does God allow for pain and death? God doesn't want those things for us. But for in, order, in order for him to wipe those things out, both death and pain and sickness and illness and COVID and and cancer. You know what he'd have to do? What's the source? Who brought sin into this earth? All of us as humanity. Those things exist because sin exists and we continue to propagate the problem by not following God. It's the root cause of death and pain and it perverts all good things. It does this, doesn't it? It perverts all good things. All the good gifts that God gave us. Marriage, man, it perverts that. Sex, man, it has really done a good job at perverting sex, hasn't it? Parenthood, wow. Friendship, how about art, work, music? All of the good gifts that God gives us have all been perverted by sin. And leaves them decayed, shriveled, meaningless shells of what they could have been if we had followed Christ. The just and appropriate consequence of sin is death. And all human beings have sinned, therefore we all die someday. 
It is both active and passive. I think a lot of us are like, I don't do bad things. But do you do the things that God has, has for you? He prepared, you know, those good works beforehand that we might walk in them. If we miss those, did you know we're in sin? When we don't do the things that God has, has laid out for us. When we don't obey him. We don't fully understand sin's depths, do we? Walking in the light of Christ reveals more and more the evil nature of our sin. And I can't say this enough. It robs us of our purpose for living. Again, our purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I want to give you a warning this morning, church. One of Satan's greatest messages to you is he wants to whisper in your ear that you're a good person and that you don't need God. And we know that because it's preached. Did you know it's preached all the time in our media, isn't it? Disney, how many of you grew up hearing that you're a good person? How many of you have said to somebody, oh, they're a good person at heart? Oh, you're a good person at heart. What if the church started uh, saying what the, what the Bible says? No, actually, all of us are desperately wicked and in need of Christ. Stop telling each other you're good people. Guys, stop telling your kids that they're good people because they're going to grow up and think, I don't need God anymore. And the Bible actually tells us about these folks, right? We, we, we hear this in Revelation. I know all the things you do, right? This is a, a church uh, in, in the letters to Revelation, uh, Revelation 3. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. This is Jesus talking, and this should, this should tr cause us to, to really take a second to think about this. And he says, you say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Jesus is talking to a church here. How do they not know that they're wretched, that they're miserable, that they're blind and that they're naked? Because they have been fooled. They've been lied to by themselves. That they don't need Jesus. And he continues to advise them, buy from me gold purified by the fire. And so I read it already today, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. He found a way where there was no way, and he restored us back he made a way for us to be restored to our purpose. So believers this morning, if you're here and you've come to church, like Simon, stop stealing from yourself the joy of your salvation. Stop stealing the joy of your salvation. Don't look away from your sin. Ignore it. Sweep it under the carpet. Compare it to others or minimize it or justify it. Confess what it is. Accept that you are in absolute need of the grace of God and don't even know how to follow him. And then, and then, and then rejoice for what God has done for you. Because you didn't earn it, you didn't deserve it, but he gave it anyway. That's grace. 
That should cause us in the church to hoop and to holler and to say, thank you, God. Like this woman did before Simon. Those of you here who haven't trusted in Christ, you're not made right with God. Your sin still lies on your shoulders, and one day you will pay the ultimate price for your sin. My plea to you here, if you haven't trusted Christ, my plea, I'm, I'm begging you here, is to admit, to admit that you have sin in your life, that you're not doing what you were created to do. There's something better for you, and it's from God. It's from the person and work of Jesus Christ, so that he can pay off your debt. Begin to live a new life in Christ filled with unthinkable gratefulness every day for the gift you received but didn't earn. I want to uh, finish with just a quick story and then we'll, we'll pray. Um, when I was in high school, uh, I, I had a lot of hidden uh, sin. <laughs> Go figure, right? And uh, one day my mom was doing my laundry and she found a lighter in my pocket. And my mom, if you know anything about her story, she had a brother who gave his life over to drugs and uh, was completely destroyed by them. And so my mom found this lighter and, and she, she addressed me on, Shane, what is this lighter? And I said, well, I began to lie. Right? Mom, it's, I just tried a couple of cigarettes. It's not that big of a deal. And I walked out of the room. And as I began to walk past that door, it's like Holy Spirit just rocked me. And I couldn't take the hiding anymore. And as I stood there, just paused because of what the Holy Spirit, He wouldn't let me walk out the door, and I turned around. And I confessed everything in my life to my mom that day. And she wept, and I wept. And you know what? That day was a new day for me and the beginning of the rest of my life with Jesus Christ. Because I let go of what I was hiding, the sin in my life. And I can't tell you, church, when you do that, the burden falls off and the joy becomes known. He took my sin far away from me. And I got to begin to walk in this new life because I was able to give and confess my sin. My conclusion for you uh, to think about is your perspective on personal sin directly affects the amount of thanksgiving love and affection you have for Jesus. Guys, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I do pray that you would awaken us. God, that we wouldn't start, well, that we would stop using the term gospel and acting like it's really not that valuable. God, I pray that it really would become good news, not just to Sheridan, but it would become good news first to us. Lord, I pray that you would help us get there because we can't do this on your own, on our own, and we need you. Lord, I pray that in your great and holy name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, church. If you're here and you'd like some prayer, feel free to come down. I do have... Um, I have some pretty exciting news. We've got two couples. I'm going to invite them up, Cameron and Emma. And we've got Zach and Sarah. And uh, brothers and sisters, 
they're, they're joining our fold. They're joining as members of the church. And so uh, Cameron, I've done ministry with him for a while. He just got back from camp. Um, hearing about 600 kids, well, 400 students at FCA camp, but he does FCA in the, in the area, so please pray for Cameron and for Emma. They've got two beautiful kiddos. So pray for them, welcome them, come up, and with great joy, church, yes. we can give them hugs and say yes. And then Zach and Sarah, very near and dear to my heart. We've just, we've been able to walk together for several years now as friends. And they're, they're here to say, you guys saw Zach baptized uh, a few, uh, was it like a couple, few weeks ago, a month ago? And uh, they're both here to say, we want to be a part of the church. They've been, both these couples have been approved by the elders. Guys, would you come up and make sure that they become family? You know what I'm saying? Family, not just people who sit over there, <laughs> but family. Thank you, church. Come and greet them. Uh, you're dismissed.